You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. So what I can tell from the Major League Baseball playoffs in this new format is essentially be a really good baseball team, make it to the postseason, but hope you're set up for a tournament. A tournament that starts off with a three-game series, turns into a five-game series, and then eventually becomes the seven-game series that I think all playoff tournaments should be. It's very hard to judge a team on three games. It's still hard on a five-game series. You know, one misstep changes everything. Not until you get to the seven-game series do I believe that the team that had the better regular season record will prevail because they can overcome missteps early on in the series or even if a game goes bad on them because there's so many ways to recover in a longer series. But look at who's been knocked out of this thing, Ed, and, and think to yourself, is Rick Hahn... Is Kenny Williams, are those guys capable of not only building a team that wins a playoff spot, but then is set up to win in a tournament? Because it's basically two different kinds of setups. A team that's set up to win over 162 may not be set up the exact same way as a team that does well in those first couple rounds of the postseason. Anything can happen, right? You could get a situation where you've got bad weather that impacts how both teams play. You've got a situation where... Uh, you know, you, you run into a pitcher who gets really, really hot or you get batters who are a little cold or they just don't perform well against a certain pitch that this pitcher features and it can completely wreck every situation. Or you could even have, you know, a potential Cy Young Award winner who just is a little off that night and, and just isn't doesn't quite have what he needs to have. You know, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong. And so, you know, what I would submit, though, is, is that what happened to the Dodgers, what happened to the Mets, um, or, you know, what happened to the Braves and, and these teams that were sort of expected to challenge in the National League, uh, probably more of an aberration. It just It's weird that it happens this year with the new format. I would suspect that given this format over the course of 10 years, we would look and see that the better teams would advance more often than not and that you would not have a situation where you have – the Phillies, you know, this ragtag bunch that just gets hot at the right time coming together at the end uh, and, and, and you know, going on through when they were a team that probably shouldn't have made it in the first place, if not for the fact that the NL Central was absolutely terrible, or the Padres going through and getting into, you know, the National League Championship Series when they, too, were a team that, from a record standpoint, probably doesn't make it, even though they were second in the NL West, which by a long margin because the rest of the NL West was terrible. So I don't know. I I don't want to read too much into one aspect of it, but I do see your point where you're saying that, you know, the team with a greater depth that's built to handle those missteps, handle having one game go wrong for you, and then be able to to club it out over the rest of the seven, they're in trouble. You're you're in definite trouble. You really got to show up for that first series. This episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You heard the ad at the beginning of the show. 
family veteran owned and operated since 2013, covering the entire area, northern Illinois and in northwest Indiana. They're going to take money off if you mention stocks in the basement. You can call them 24-7 at 708-330-4466. Keep water out of your basement, protect your foundation, and see what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. A couple of narratives I want to kill right away before we get into the meat of the show. The first narrative that I, I want to kill is that if you look at the Padres coming off of a bad year in 2021 and then doing well in 2022, Sox can do the same thing. Don't compare yourself to the to the Padres because their owner's willing to go that extra mile when it comes to a contract. He did not try to play games in terms of money and what he could uh, offer to Manny Machado. Okay, And the general manager seems to not only be unafraid of making deals, because Rick Hahn, I still believe, is gun-shy because every time a deal goes bad for him, he just he lingers on it, right? Just like how he says, I don't look at Twitter, but he brings that up in every press conference, so clearly he spends eight hours a day reading White Sox Twitter, okay? I mean, it's like the guy who's like, I don't care. It keeps telling you he doesn't care, which means he really does care. He's just trying to convince you and even himself of it. I don't believe that he can pull off the kind of general manager moves that you're getting out in San Diego from Preller. So they're not the same team. They're not built the same way. They're not they're not run the same way. It's not the same thing. Don't don't throw that narrative out there. The other narrative that I don't like it goes to the the current managerial search. I'm not a a fan of seeing Joe Espada in the in the same sentence when they're talking about two guys that that impressed the White Sox as Pedro Griffal. And I, I touched on this last episode. I'm trying very hard not to have a a real like set opinion on a managerial candidate because I'm not in the interviews and it's very difficult to say who's better for the job than somebody else. In the end, that's why you hope your front offices run well. Okay, I don't think this one is. I wish they would have cleaned house and gotten rid of all of them. So I don't have a lot of faith in them. But I will tell you this. Joe Espada falls underneath what I was told we were looking for, either an experienced manager that comes from a winning organization or a guy that sits on the bench and has been part of winning. Meanwhile, what does the bench coach for the Royals over the last couple of years have to do with any of that stuff? And before you say, well, remember, you know, a little less than 10 years ago, they were in the World Series. He wasn't part of that at the level that he's sitting on the bench now. He was in like a background role. I mean, you can look at his resume and see all the things that he's done, but what tells you he can manage? And what tells you he's the guy that can walk in and take over a team that has issues? Not only issues in in, in how they approach the game, but also you have one of your veterans, a closer by the name of Liam Hendricks, who's formerly a guest on this show, sitting there saying we need an authoritative figure. And, and clearly you need somebody who can take control. What does that guy carry into the dugout that makes you think he can do that? Just looking at his resume. So I don't know what marvelous thing that they saw in the interview that Buster only is saying that uh, Espada and Griffal were impressive to the White Sox, because I can get the Espada thing based upon his resume and the fact that everybody in Major League Baseball wants to talk to him. But why do I feel like my team being so White Sox is going to take this guy instead? And everybody's going to kind of shrug and say, why? Oh, I guarantee you. I guarantee you if they hire Pedro Griffal. It's, they're going to say something like, he's great at player development and he'll work really well with our young players, even though you're not a young team. They're not you're a not, young team. You're not a young team. No. 
You have a lot of veterans on this team and a lot of older players and a lot of guys that have gotten past that 27-year-old mark where now it's like, okay, you kind of are what you are. You might develop into something a little bit better at 28, but that's generally where the curve is. You know, you're not a young team. So, yeah, I don't get him. I don't get him as being a name. I Okay, fine, you want to talk to a guy because you're interested, fine. But, man, he's really got to blow your socks off to go basically against everything that you told this fan base you were looking for. And then that would be two times in a row because LaRusso wasn't what you were looking for. We said, okay, fine, it's because the, the, the owner is selfish and he's a billionaire and he's going to do whatever he wants to. But this time around, if it happens again where you tell me exactly what you're looking for and you go and you get something that doesn't fit that, you know, that all you can do is just shrug and be like, well, that's the White Sox. Unfortunately, I was born into this fan base. Uh, if I would have if I'd have been born a Yankee fan, it would have been a lot easier for me. Right. Said I was born on the south side of Chicago. My father said, you're a Sox fan. And uh, as I get older, every once in a while, I look at him and I just go, why? And he apologizes to me for when, when stuff like this is happening. And I think this team could do so much. I really do think this team could do so much if, if in the right hands. Yeah. I looked at fan graphs, Ed, and I looked at the the salaries in in 2022 and what everybody's expected to make in 2023. And I went down the list and just very simply took the number that the player made in 2022, looked at what they're going to make in 2023, and started figuring out the difference. And I took off the books players that have team options. And I gave A.J. Pollock to the White Sox. I said $13 million. He's He's getting an increase. And I went all the way through. I went all the way through. So I've taken Abreu off. I've taken Johnny Cueto off. I'm not opposed to bringing Johnny Cueto back. But for right now, he, he's a free agent. you got to go out and sign Johnny Cueto, right? Just like you got to go out and sign Jose Abreu, A.J. Pollock gets to choose to stay. Right. So I'm just going to assume he's staying. Just for, In all arguments until he's not staying, I'm assuming he's staying, okay, based upon what he did last year and how much money he makes if he stays. And the guys with the club option, none of them are guys that are automatically going to be picked no. up. Is pretty much none of them saying. are automatically guys that are going to be picked up. So just knowing what you have to keep because you need to remake some things in this roster. I came up with a figure before the arbitration eligible players that you have a little over $31 million in payroll flexibility. You have $31 million coming off the books from what you were paying on your 2022 roster. Now, if I look at arbitration players, there are some guys that are going to get some increases, right? I mean, Dylan Cease is going to go from making $750,000 to, I think, MLB Trade Rumors has him at $5.3 million, okay? So, I mean, here's a guy who's going to take $4.5 million out of that $31 million. I don't get the Lucas Giolito thing. I'll be honest with you. you know, MLB Trade Rumors is saying Lucas Giolito is getting a raise. Not only a raise, he's going from 7.4 mil to 10.3. That's laughable. That, that may be the silliest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. Really? Switch to a new age of life with Hyatt Home Medical Equipment located on the south side. Hyatt is all about keeping that independence and keeping the person in the home. We're all faced at some point with the question as to whether or not mom or dad need to move into assisted living or whether or not you or I need to move into assisted living. Hyatt makes it a lot easier to stay in your house. These days, they make it into a smart home. Doors that open and close with the touch of a button on an app. Smart chairs to bring you up and down the stairs. The house can be set up and rigged with supports and aids 
to get you around and make it less likely you suffer a fall. See all they have to offer at hhme.com. And remember, they're not only going to work with your insurance, but if you mention stocks in the basement, they take additional money off. Stop in and get every question answered in their beautiful showroom located in Evergreen Park, 3518 West 95th Street. I mean, that's a lot of money to give a guy who performed like Giolito did this year, right? Not based on this year. I Last year, yeah, I would have I, I believed it. You know, last couple of years, I would have absolutely 100% believed it. And it's not a, an indictment of Lucas Giolito's potential talent. I'm not... I'm not going to sit here. I was thinking about this. I'm not prepared to say that Lucas Giolito can't bounce back to what he has been the past couple of seasons before this one, you know, in 19 and, and you know, basically after his disastrous uh, year where he was the worst starter in all of Major League Baseball. But he can revert back to being the ace of the staff. But the arbitration numbers aren't based on what they think he can do next year. That's based on what he did this year. And this year he was the fifth starter on the team. I mean, just statistically, he was behind Davis Martin and Michael Kopech and Johnny yeah. Cueto. And-, and look, I'm I'm wrong, actually. Here, let me correct that. It's not 10.3. No, no, no. 10.8. MLB Trade Rumors has him getting a $3.4 million raise and moving near $11 million for next year based off of his season. If that's the case, if there, if I'm not, and here's the thing. Don't don't say, well, you know, it's another year. Guys go up. That's just normal. Adam Engel's going from two to two point three million. That's inflation. I mean, that, that's inflation is what that is. That's that's rich guy inflation. My inflation's not as big as right. their inflation because they live in the millions and I live nowhere near that right now. OK, well, well our, our inflation is, is that it's it's more expensive to feed our families. Right. Their inflation is three hundred thousand dollars for being the, basically the same guy you were last right. year. Right now, the Lopez is getting a couple million dollars more. Kyle Crick would be worth a million and a half, though, and Jose Ruiz would be getting a, a $250,000 raise to be a million. You didn't really care about Crick and Ruiz. It's about time you admit that he's not worth it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could dump it and get two and a half million dollars. Oh, yeah. You know, it, there's things you can play with here. I don't know if you offer arbitration to everybody that's arbitration eligible. And the, and the ARB people this year is Giolito, who's the big increase, uh, Ray Lopez, Engel, Crick, Cease, Kopech, who's going to jump uh, reportedly from $750,000 to $2.2 million in the estimate, and Ruiz. There's some increases there. As long as the Giolito thing doesn't get out of control, you're, you're still sitting at about a little over $20 million of flexibility. And you did have the first season of over 2 million fans in your stadium in a decade or so. Right. So when I when I listen to that, I don't want to hear in the offseason we just don't have the money, and I don't want to hear that you can't go out and sign anybody. The, the problem is that with that money, Rick Hahn will go and sign about seven guys for about 3 or $4 million that are all middling players that won't have any impact whatsoever on your team, and it's just wasting $20 million. And that, you know, just like when, when I look at the, the guys that have gone into the postseason that are playing, look at this Padres Phillies series. And uh, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Wheeler. I mean, how many guys can you pick out? Schwarber, they could have picked up in the offseason this year. A lot of people wanted him. Look at all the guys in that series that you had the money and you had the ability to sign, but you spent your money in other ways. They're all in the postseason and you're watching them right now. So, I mean, like, these are the questions that the White Sox have. I don't know if the answer is going to be any different, but when you're when you're listening to them talk about the team and the uh, the, the money on the team, and, and this, again, I think is the reason why Jose Abreu doesn't come back. You bring back Jose Abreu, that's it. You, If you brought back Jose Abreu right now and what he made last year, that's it. 
cancel out all of that space. You're at zero. You don't have Harrison coming back. You're not bringing back anybody on any options. You can't add anything. Again, this goes back to why I don't think Jose Abreu is coming back to this team. By the way, to pull back the curtain just a little bit on what we're doing here uh, today, uh, Ed's sitting down here at the 9-foot homemade oak bar, and I keep running back and forth checking on my meat because I'm, uh, I'm smoking today, smoking some ribs. I never got to what I wanted to do this weekend, so I'm doing it on a Monday. Well, you know, it, it, sometimes a Monday a Monday meat smoking is, is okay, you know? Oh, we were busy. I mean, Dominic had hockey. Uh, you know, I went and played with the Brother Ice marching band on Friday night uh, in the alumni band. We had just something going on all weekend long, and I had gone out and bought the ribs. I had the smoker ready. I had all my supplies sitting there, and I'm sitting there looking at it like, Sunday morning going, I'm never getting to these this weekend. So I'm, I'm doing it now while we're doing the show. But you were looking at the postseason teams and thinking to yourself, are any of these teams like the White Sox? Well, yeah, you alluded to it at the beginning of the show, right? You said, don't think that you're the Padres because the Padres are, you know, built a certain way. And, and I looked at and now we can always look at, at at how much money each team is spending. Right. So payroll is obviously always a factor. Uh, but what I, I was looking at, what I was curious about was how are these teams lined up with age, with how many of their current active roster are brought up through their system, okay? So either amateur free agency signed in the international pool or drafted. And what's their farm system look like, okay? So how are they set up? So the Padres, for example, right now have all of three players that are homegrown sitting in their, on their active roster. Their farm system is in the is in the toilet right now, but it wasn't until after the Juan Soto trade. And then, from an age standpoint, they're actually you know decently young. Their their batters average twenty eight point two years of age. Their pitcher their pitchers average thirty point three, which is about right. The White Sox actually, when you when you line all of these things up, they mirror or they most closely resemble the Houston Astros. Then why are we as good as them, Ed? So the the setup is very similar. Okay. The Astros are, on average, about 29 and a half years old. The White Sox, on average, are about 29 and a half years old. Okay, so from a team age standpoint, they are roughly the same. Uh, the Astros currently have 15 homegrown players on their major league roster. That includes a lot of their stars, and it includes you know some of their uh, you know basically some of their depth players as well. But they have 15 players. The Sox have 11, 13 if you count Danny Mendick and Garrett Crochet. I didn't look at 60-day IL for all the teams, so I don't really count them right now. But those two guys would be on the roster if they if they were healthy, right? So you've got some similarities there. And then the farm systems, the Astros are 29th and the Sox are 26th. And the Sox were, of course, 30th at the start of the season, got better as some of their, their guys got up there. And the Astros are not known for having a really great top-end farm system, right? So what's the difference? The difference has got to be talent evaluation. Because if you're at the same age as the Astros and you have your minor league system in the same state as the Astros. And the Astros are spending a little bit less, by the way. Their payroll is just a little bit lower right. than the White Sox. And so they're able to do it with they're able to do it with a little bit less of a payroll. Their their minor league system's in the same way. Their age of their team is the same way. Their makeup is the same way, and yet they win, they go to the postseason, and they have a chance to win the World Series each and every year. And I'm not talking like puncher's chance, like where the White Sox, let's be honest, when they went there in 2020, puncher's chance. They wouldn't even have made it. I, I don't. I mean, like, think about it. It was a 60-game season, and you fell apart towards the end and got one of the lower playoff seeds, and you would never have had that playoff format if it weren't for COVID, right? 
2021, you make it to the postseason, you're happy with your team, but I think all of us knew that we had deficiencies and we needed to kind of catch some lightning in a bottle if we were really going to get all the way through and defeat at the end of the thing whoever was coming out of the National League, right? And And it would have been the Braves. That would have been a very difficult series for us even if we got close to it and sniffed at it, right? The Astros, on the other hand, they're in the playoffs every year and you never have that, well, you know, they need things to break their way. That's a different organization over there. And again, I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I just, I, I starting to feel like it's the anti Ray Khan show. And I'm sorry if it sounds that way, but let's just say it's who the hell is putting the team together because we can see other organizations that are better at evaluating talent, better at making trades, better at valuing their players, better at running things. I mean, I heard Carlos Correa on, I, I want to say on Fox, or I think it was on Fox on one of the pregame shows. I saw a clip of this over the weekend. Carlos Correa comes out of the Astros organization. He he just goes to the Twins, signs a sweetheart deal where if he would have had a bad season, he gets to stay and make more money. If he has a good season, he gets to opt out, right? So, of course, he opts out, and he's already said, like, if you want me, you got to pay for my services. I'm the commodity. Like, here's a guy who really gets it, right? He's breaking down all the advanced statistics that you look at, and he's explaining very simply that the stats that people look at, if you want to be a valuable baseball player and you want to not only be uh, somebody who makes a ton of money, but who is a value to their team, it's all about plate discipline. It's all about being a tough out. It's all about if you go over 10, but scattered in there, there's five walks. You are continuously helping your team. Do you think the White Sox have that philosophy after what you watched last year? He came out of the Astros and he's sitting there preaching it, even though he's not with them anymore, because that's how he was taught. There's a difference. That's the difference right there. It's And it starts at the core. It starts behind the scenes. It starts with the GM. It starts with uh, whoever's in charge of developing the players. It starts with all of that stuff. And I couldn't imagine a White Sox player standing up there and explaining that on national television like he did, because he knows it, and he understands how the game is played and how to make himself valuable and how you win at baseball. And, and that's the difference between the Astros and the White Sox right there. Get out the Hailstorm Brewing Company, the official brewery of Sox in the Basement, in Tinley Park, 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue, a ginormous beer hall with the brewery right there in view, the outdoor patio, it's the perfect time with the fire pit outside, they have live music on the weekends, trivia nights, and all kinds of fun events, and they've got great beer. The Oktoberfest lineup is amazing. Great food, great beer, great fun. Get out there now. Make sure to follow them on their Facebook page at Hailstorm Brewing Co. and see all they have to offer at hailstormbrewing.com. And I'm drinking a Take Me to Your Liter right now from Hailstorm. It's a great beer. You can pick it up on store shelves. You can get it over at the brewery. It's perfect for this time of year. I like it with a chill in the air. I like it when I'm smoking meats. I think Ed is staying for dinner. I went off on a tangent there about Carlos Correa, but it it just struck me that he had a philosophy about how to approach the plate. And it seemed to me that was ingrained into him, probably from the organization that brought him along. I would just love to see that kind of a thinking with my team. That's the difference, at least one difference I see between the White Sox and the Astros. You can sit there and say, okay, the Sox have, you know, what do I say, 11, 13 draft choices or, or international signings or, you know, team, you know, players that they've originated that have come through. And 
on the roster, and that's great. You know, that does show that there's major league talent coming through. Good on you, Rick Hahn, for that. But there's a there's a difference in the talent that's coming through, okay? So, for example, the starting rotation for the Astros, Framber Valdez, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia, and Christian Javier, four of their starters uh, out of the top six guys that pitched for them this year, are homegrown dudes, basically, okay? So they have come up, and every single one of you, you look at, at like, Jose Arquiti or Christian Javier or Luis Garcia in particular, you look at those guys, and, and the scouts will tell you they don't got nothing, the stuff isn't great, but they know how to pitch. Okay, so that's that's coaching, right? They know how to get guys out. That is a coaching thing. That is a how do you raise them up through the minor league system. The other aspect of it is, is that when you're talking about just pure talent standpoint, of the homegrown Astros, Yuli Gurriel, Jose Altuve, Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker are all homegrown guys. Those are stars right there, right? Jose Altuve has been one of the best. I mean, you talk about the cheating and all that stuff, and I, and I get it. I get it. But he's still he's still a great player. Alex Bregman's still a terrific third baseman. T- Kyle Tucker's a legit star. Yuli Gurriel's been a very good player for a very long time. Jeremy Pena had a good rookie year replacing Carlos Correa. And there's a, you know, there's another guy that's homegrown that, that the Sox could probably use, right? In some fashion, Carlos Correa. Meanwhile, you know, you're looking at the White Sox, their homegrown guys are basically Tim Anderson, Gavin Sheets, uh, Andrew Vaughn, and then Luis Robert as as an international signing. And at this point, can you really compare those players to what you named off from the Astros? And I say, no, you cannot, you cannot. And from a pitching standpoint, the White Sox homegrown pitchers, are Aaron Bummer and Matt Foster. Davis Martin, if you count him, as a starter next year. So that's the difference. We didn't go identify talent, develop talent, and put the right talent on the team compared to what they did. You could put them side by side, you could see the difference. So in the end, the deficiency then becomes who's evaluating the players and who's putting the team together. And how are they being coached? How are they being developed? It has nothing to do with Tony La Russa being the manager over the last couple of years. Just, it just doesn't, Okay. Like he, Tony La Russa is a nice distraction from the the deficiencies that the front office has. They'll they'll let you know when they they can't do the job anymore. You know they'll they'll tell you they'll let you know when they can't do it. They'll go tell Jerry I can't do this anymore when they finally when they finally realize they're overmatched. I mean it's a huge off season. If you have a window, the window's going to close real quick here if you don't do the right things in this off season. And that's also assuming that you don't unload some salary, that you don't get some guys off the books otherwise, or make some trades, right? I, I mean, I could see them trying to get rid of Lucas Giolito's money, right? Could you see them in a package if he really decided he wanted to remake the team, dealing a player in Giolito to try to acquire two to three other players that do different things because he's got to spread around his money? And if that arbitration number is right, would you at this point, knowing that Lucas Giolito, based upon his conversations that he's had on his Twitch feed and when he has interviews and talks about his value and how he maximizes his value for when he goes in the free agency, that guy's not signing an extension with you. And he's volatile. He's good year, bad year right now when you look at it. Okay. And you can buy, well, you know, it's because I worked out too much in the offseason, but that's coming from his camp because he devalued himself with the season he had in 2022. And if you know the guy wants to go to free agency no matter what, and you see the up and down over the last couple of years with him, and you see that you're going to end up having to pay him just under $11 million next year, and you're having all these issues with your roster, I think he's a prime candidate of a contract they'd want to move to somebody else this offseason. I would not be shocked if you sat there and try to, 
to tell me that they could move Lucas Giolito in the offseason. I think if they found the right deal, they'd move him. Oh yeah, but well, and, and it's it's a it's a little bit similar to what we were talking about with Yohan Moncada going into last year, where here's a guy who is coming off of a down season. You generally don't want to make a trade when somebody's at a lower value, a diminished value from what they normally are. But in this case, we saw where Yohan Moncada has proven maybe that the good year was not aberration, and the bad years are a little bit more custom to what we're we're looking at. Whereas Giolito, you know, his his year wasn't terrible. I mean a 490 ERA, a 1.435 whip, not great, not really good. But you could sit there and say it's one bad year, and I'm gonna look at the prior three years where he was really good, 2019, 2020, and 2021. And as a team, I might invest in that and say he's gonna bounce back. But if he proves it correct that he's on a decline, you're never gonna be able to get anything for him. So it might be an issue where you're gonna sit there and go, okay, do we believe that Giolito had his hot streak and maybe there's he's losing a little velocity, he's losing a step, he's losing some control, uh, you know, maybe he's in his own head, maybe he's more worried about his contract than actually pitching. Whatever your concerns about Lucas Giolito may be, do you think you can move him for the right package? And I would agree, yeah, if they can move him, you know, he's a movable piece. But you're you're coming back to you know, you're talking at the start of the show about how the Sox are not the Padres. And I'm sitting here telling you that they mimic most closely the Astros, but don't have the same level of talent on the field as the Astros, which means that they have to find a way now to become the Padres. The San Diego Padres. That's what they have to become. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.